Today on the Southland Christian Ministries Sermon Podcast, Rebecca Brock speaks to the 2023 Ladies Retreat in a session entitled, Creation Groans. This is my first time at Southland and I have been looking forward to it. I've only been here a couple hours and I've already been blessed. Haven't y'all? I mean, the food ministered, I mean, delicious. And then I can tell they've been preparing for us. All of this music, my soul has already been ministered to tonight, and I hope yours has been too. I have been praying for you. I know how much work it takes to get ready to be away. No matter what you were leaving, it takes work to be away, doesn't it? Can I just assure you that while you're here, your cat will be fine, your job will be fine, Your husband should be just fine. Whoever you left, whatever you left, can you leave it there for a while? We are retreating, ladies. Let's retreat together, okay? I'm convinced that the Lord wants us to have a refreshing time in his word together. And I am just excited to see what he will do. It's always faith-building to me to see how God works through his word. And he says he will. But then he does, and then we get to rejoice and give him all the praise when he works through the word. I'm going to give you a one takeaway challenge. We are going to have four times in the word together this weekend, and I would encourage you, if you're a note taker or if you're not a note taker, to try to look for one thing every session. I'm going to do my best to open up the scripture and say, here's what God's saying here, and then here's how how we should live it. But not everything necessarily will hit home for you, but maybe one thing. When I clean house, I like to listen to uh, messages as I'm cleaning house. It makes me feel like I'm doing something profitable while I'm scrubbing toilets, you know? And I, I think it's a smashing success If as I'm listening to that sermon, I have one takeaway where I I hear one thing that helps me understand God, maybe a little bit better, just one thing that I think, okay, that that was for me. Would you look for one thing from every session that might even give us some talking points as we're fellowshipping with one another? You know, all right, what's your one thing from this morning or what's your one thing from last night? And it will give us opportunities maybe to have a natural way to talk about how God has been at work, because we want God to work. So let's look for that. Let's look for that this weekend um, together. And the things that I'm going to share this weekend are personal. I think absolutely every session is something that God has done in my heart that I am eager and I'm excited to share with you. Would you join me in Romans chapter 8, that familiar passage, Romans chapter 8. That's where we're going to start together this evening. Now, I know some of you traveled a long way, and we got a great meal, and maybe it's getting close to your bedtime. So I'm going to give you permission, if you need to go stand in the back, feel free to. All right, we are women. We can multitask. We're not distracted easily. It will be just fine if you want to go stand in the back. You, You feel free to do that. But let's stay awake together, because I believe that the Lord has something here for us this evening. By way of introduction, I have to tell you that going into this summer, I was looking at our family's calendar. 
My husband calls me his calendar. He'll say, I need to consult my calendar because I keep the family you know, running with the calendar. And I was, I was coordinating our schedules. My husband had a wedding and a conference, and at my two college kids were going different ministries this summer, and my other kids had camps. And so I'm coordinating, coordinating all of this, and I see only one day of the whole summer was it just our family free that we could be together. One day this summer. And so, you know, the mom and me, I, I claimed it. All right, this is our day. And I told my, ch my children, don't make any plans for this day. And my husband and I decided to take our kids to the Field Museum in Chicago. We, we enjoyed that museum and we thought, our kids haven't been. It's about two hours from our house. Let's go to the Field Museum. And we just, we made a day of it. And we left relatively early. We got coffee on the way, you know, that $300, you go through the, get the fufu coffees, you know. And we headed to Chicago, and we did the Chicago Field Museum. We took pictures on, on the lake with the wind blowing, and we're all giggling, you know, as we're trying to get family pictures on, there on Lake Michigan. And then we did the deep dish Chicago-style pizza, where you eat one or two slices, and you, you know, that's all you can handle. And we had, we had a fun day. Somewhere during the Field Museum, as I'm passing out snacks, and we're eating, even my big kids, we all, we all still like snacks, so I'm passing out snacks in the Field Museum, and I'm thinking something like, this is so wonderful. My children, they're getting along all day. <laughs> they're, they're sacrificing for each other, and they love each other, and they're making peace. And you know, I've got one child who hates museums, and I have another child who wants to, you know, one wants to read everything, and one's like way over here. And, and we're making sacrifices, and we're doing this museum together. And isn't this amazing? And in the, in the midst of all of the amazingness, I started thinking things like, when my kids are growing up, what if we never have a day like this ever again? This is what we raised them for. We reared them for this, that they would love one another, and now they love one another. I'm not going to even be able to enjoy this because they're going to go this way and that way, and everything's falling apart. And in the middle of all the rightness, there was wrongness. There was sadness. I'm convinced that we as women have an all-is-well meter. Do you have an all-is-well meter? Things are wonderful, oh, but this, oh, but this. And internally, we long for all of our ducks to be in a row. And internally, we long for peace and for order and for security and for righteousness to reign in our homes and righteousness to reign in our churches. And we have these ideals. And maybe most of all, we want righteousness to reign in our own hearts. And we find these things just constantly just out of reach. We want this utopian state where everything is right and there's no wrongness and it's just out of reach. And then you see the evil of this world and it is marching towards us quickly. Do you feel it? The world is wrong and it's coming after us and we feel that and we groan within us. How do we think right in a world gone so wrong? How do we think right in the midst of the wrongness? That's what I want us to talk to you. That's what I want us to talk about this evening. How do we rightly function in a world gone so horribly wrong? And I would like to share some truths from Romans 8 that I use constantly, weekly, sometimes daily. 
And I have affectionately termed them my steps to sanity. When the wrongness is starting to overwhelm me, these are truths that I just go to. And we're going to walk through a, a, a rather large chunk of scripture. We're going to pick out some truths, some stepping stone truths from Romans 8. And at the end, I want to show you how we can make this part of our everyday thinking that will help us in the midst of all of this wrongness. We're going to talk a lot about groaning in this passage. I wonder in the middle, behind all the smiles, if you brought any heaviness with you this weekend. Are you groaning? If you are, this is for you. This is for us tonight. I'd like to ask the Lord to help us, and then we're going to read our passage here in Romans 8. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, it is a firm foundation Lord, it stabilizes our souls in a very unstable world. And Lord, we need your help tonight. Understanding your word is from the Spirit. And so I ask that your Spirit would take the word of God tonight and help us look more like your Son. Would you help us to be able to learn truth that will help us navigate the wrongness of this world? In your name I pray, amen. Now, as we begin reading here in Romans 8... I want you to really look for this word no, K-N-O-W, that no. We're going to see the word no is a repeating word in this passage, and it's going to give us our our stepping stones. And so our, our big idea tonight is I want us to see that what we know and what we know that we don't know will help stabilize us with right thinking in a wrong world. So we're going to look for what we know and then what we know that we don't know that will help stabilize our thinking in a wrong world. We're going to begin reading in verse 19 of Romans chapter 8. For the earnest expectation of the creature... Now, when we read that word creature, we think animals, but but Paul here is talking about the whole created world, everything that's not personal, not people, all right? So that part of creation. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth... For the manifestation or the revealing of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself shall also be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but we ourselves, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for it? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Spirit itself makes intercession for us with, with groanings which cannot be uttered. We'll pause there for right now. Our first big idea. Are you ready? Our first idea tonight is our world isn't right. Does that shock you? You say, Rebecca, that's not very encouraging. Why would we start there? Because it's the truth, and God loves us enough to tell us the truth. 
And we see, first of all, that our world isn't right. Do you notice that creation is groaning? In verse 22, for we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth. Here, we have creation pictured in an anthropomorphic way. So we have human characteristics given to creation. And in human-like language, Paul is saying that the creation feels the weight of the curse so much that we could say that creation is groaning. Now, there are a lot of kinds of groans. My husband likes to tell dad jokes. (laughs) Just to see our children, oh, dad. My oldest son hates awkward situations. And if the girls and I are ever watching a girly movie and there's anything slightly romantic, he goes, oh, those are groans. Is this the groan we're talking about here? No, not at all. This is a groan that is talking about the weight, feeling a weight, a heaviness on it. In order to understand why creation is groaning, we really need to look at the context. And there's one verse that we didn't read, and that's verse 18. Let's go back and set the context of this groaning. If you look at verse 18, Paul says, For I reckon, Paul's a southerner, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worth or worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Paul says, I am going to give you a math problem. If you put the sufferings of this life on one side and you put the glory that's coming on the other side, there's nothing that will work to make that an equation. It does not equal greater than or less than. It just blows the whole calculation. You can't do that kind of math. Paul is giving hope that there's this glory that's coming and there's this suffering now. But then for some reason, Paul doesn't tell us about the glory. He's going to tell us about the suffering because he wants us to know. He wants us to know the truth about what kind of world this is. And so what kind of groaning is this? I want us just to see quickly some some characteristics. I want you to see that this is an expecting, expectant groan. If you look in verse 19, it says the earnest expectation of the creature or the creation waits is the idea. Um, the, the, the creation knows things are not right. And so the earnest expectation, it is, it's waiting for something better. It's as if creation understands that this is not our best life. So groaning, waiting for what's coming. I know it's going to be better. I know it's going to be better. And so creation is expecting something else. This phrase, earnest expectation, is the idea of eager anticipation. Paul only uses it one other time, and it's in Philippians, that his earnest expectation would be that in nothing he would be ashamed And so this kind of groan knows there's something better coming, knows there's an end in sight. And that verb waiteth, it's only used in Scripture to to refer to Christ's return. Creation is waiting for Christ's return. That's what, what Paul says here. Groaning, wanting Christ to return. I want you to also see that it's an empty groan. Do you see that in verse 20? It says that the creature was subject to vanity. Now, As women, we understand the word subject, right? 
Wives, be subject to your own husbands. What's the idea there? It's the idea of falling in rank, knowing, knowing the authority structure. And here is the picture that creation was brought subject. It was brought under the authority of what? Vanity, emptiness, futility. Do you ever feel like, well, what's the point of this life? I get up and I go to work, or I get up and feed the kids, and then an hour later I have to feed the kids again. And if you read the book of Ecclesiastes, this is the point where sometimes going through the motions of life, it feels, it feels empty. And Paul here says creation feels that too. It's under vanity. It's under this idea. But also notice that it's an enslaved groan. It's talking about this bondage that creation has. Look in verse 21. It says that the creature itself shall be later (laughs) delivered from the bondage of corruption. What's the bondage of corruption? Death. Did you know 10 out of 10 animals die? There There is this death cycle, right? Death is constant. We live in Wisconsin. We see roadkill constantly. We see evidence when we're, especially in the snow and in deer season, we're driving on the freeway and we see death all the time and we're just kind of used to it. This is, this is the way creation is. Because of the sin of Adam and Eve, our whole world was plunged into death and decay and corruption and creation even feels that Everything dies. Everything wears out. Creation has a shelf life. I want you to also see in verse 22 that it's a painful groan. The whole creation is groaning and travailing, it says, in pain. This is the picture of childbirth. The travaileth, that's talking about childbirth kind of pain. That's the picture we have of the suffering of creation. You see, creation was marred. It's not right now. Death and decay were all introduced at the fall, and life is hard on this planet. I want you to notice, lastly, as far as the groan goes, that it's a continuing groan. Would you look in verse 22 again? It says that this creation is groaning and travailing in pain together until now. How long has this been going on? How long have we been in this situation? Since the garden? Since the fall? This is the reality for all of the ages, for all of the post-fall history. This is the reality. Creation knows things aren't right, and creation is groaning, and it's constant. And if you look at that word together, creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together. This is one of the songs that creation sings to us. In this concophony of, of voices, creation is telling us things aren't right. We need Christ to return. There's better things coming. That's the picture we have here. Constant groaning. But I want you to notice, why are we spending so much time on this? Because of the beginning of verse 23. Would you see this with me? The beginning of verse 23 tells us that not only does creation groan, but we can take all that that we talked about creation, and we can say, us too. Me too. Look at 
the beginning of verse 23. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption. I find this very significant that Paul says creation groans, and then he could say humans groan. But he doesn't say creation groans, and then humans groan. He gets very specific. He says creation groans, and believers groan. Do you see that description? We who have the Spirit, and he, use, he emphasizes this. He says we ourselves also He's saying creation groans, that's general, but very specifically, Christian, you're going to groan too. And Paul includes himself. He says we. If you are groaning, it is not a sign of spiritual immaturity. Paul groaned. If you look around and you get overwhelmed by the wrongness in the world, you're not alone, you're in good company. Creation groans, but believers groan too. And it's interesting that Paul uses that description, we who have the Spirit. Why does he use that description? Because in this chapter, in Romans chapter 8, if you want study it, you'll see that description after description of the, the role of the Spirit is found here in Romans chapter 8. He indwells us. He is going to resurrect us. It is through the Spirit that we put sin to death. He is the one that leads us. He is the one that gives us assurance of our salvation. He's the one that allows us to say, Abba, Father. And we have the great enabling of the Spirit. But do you know what the Spirit doesn't do? The Spirit can't take away all the pain. That's not his role. That's not his job. Even we who have the Spirit. Now, the Spirit will help us, enable us to live right in a wrong world. But the Spirit's not going to eliminate all the difficulty of living right in a wrong world. The Spirit enables us to. Friends, it is absolutely futile for you and me to fight reality. And I see this. I see this in my own home. I want to create my, my own little utopia. And I want everything to be just right. And I want no groaning in the Brock household. And we are going to have everything just right here. And, and sometimes I just have to go organize a cabinet so I can have rightness somewhere. And when everything goes to chaos, I go and look at my cabinet. All right, there's order one place in the world, right? Maybe that's not your personality. But I know all of us, to some degree, long for a utopia. And we work so hard to make everything right in our corner of the world. But you know what? That's not reality. Growing up, I had a sweet lady in my church who I considered a friend, and I think I was six. And I admired her, and she would do the Lord's Supper. And I would watch her during choir practice. My mom's at choir practice. I would go down, and I would watch her. I can still picture her hands as she was preparing the Lord's Supper. I was so young, I don't know any of the details. But I do know that she could not handle the wrongness of the world. And she started resorting back to her childhood and building up kind of walls and started acting like a little girl. And I knew something was wrong, even as a, as a, as a young child. You know, why is she talking in that little girl voice? And I saw her heading down this path trying to cope with all of the wrongness in the world, and it was her undoing. She was no longer to care for her family. 
because she wasn't living in the here and now. Friends, don't try to undo what you cannot undo. God has not called you to reverse the curse in your home. You cannot. And you will frustrate yourself, you will frustrate your husband, you will frustrate your children if you are trying to make everything perfect in a wrong world. We have to embrace reality. God loves us enough to tell us the truth. And he says, this is the truth you're going to groan on this earth. And we must embrace what we know and adjust our expectation. For some reason, we tend to think all is well, is normal, that's right. And if all isn't well, then God has done me wrong. And we expect all is well to be the status quo. And then when something goes wrong, what's wrong with me? Or what's wrong with our home? Or what's wrong with our church? We're having a problem. This is normal in a broken world. Sometimes we're tempted to think there's something wrong with me or start judging God. God, why would you do this? Why would you allow this wrongness? That's dangerous thinking, friends. We have to stabilize ourselves on the truth. Can I encourage you tonight? If you're groaning, you are completely normal. There's nothing wrong with you. And God hasn't done you wrong This is life under the sun. How is our groaning described here? I want you to see that it's very personal. In the creation description, we don't read this. This is us. In verse 23, it says that we groan within ourselves. As humans made in the image of God, this is a groaning that we actually internalize. And so often we have private heavinesses and griefs and moaning for relief because of the ugliness of sin within our hearts and because of the curse on the world around us and because of our loved ones. And so we we carry with us this internal groaning. But God understands. How long will this groaning continue? Will there be relief If you look at verse 23, it says that we ourselves groan within ourselves waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. You see, friends, we've been adopted, but it's not final. I have Christ's name. I'm his daughter. He's my father, but he's there and I'm here. My inheritance is waiting up there. The adoption hasn't been absolutely, like not all of the benefits are here yet. And so we groan within ourselves waiting, but adoption is coming. That is our future. That is what we are looking forward to. And so the spirit is that reminder. It's that down payment. We have the spirit within ourselves to remind us, yes, I'm groaning, but something better is coming. And I have the promise of that coming. In some way, creation's groaning will end when our groaning ends. We see in the passage in verse 19 and 21 that even creation is waiting for it to be revealed who the sons of God are and is waiting to be delivered from corruption to the glorious liberty that we have. And so we don't understand all of that, but creation is also waiting for relief. And this will happen in in two stages. This will begin when our Savior returns to set up his kingdom on this earth. And then, after his thousand-year reign, his enemies will again try to conquer him. No match for our Savior. And he will put an end, finally, to all wrongs. 
and there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and we will live forever with our Father, and our adoption with all of its benefits will be complete. I love studying the millennium. One of the things I have done for, for giving me hope in the wrong world that we live is I've gone through the book of Isaiah and I have just journaled. I'm not a serious journaler, but I like to write down like phrases of what life will be like in the kingdom because you and I that know the Lord, we're going to be there. We're going to be serving our Savior and ruling, helping him rule in the, in the millennium. Can I just give you a glimpse of what we're looking forward to? Because this passage says that we were saved to hope and this is what we're looking forward to. When our Savior, our Messiah comes, this is what will happen. Out of Zion shall go forth the law, and he shall judge between the nations, and we will not learn war, no more war, anymore. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And he will not judge by what his eyes see or by what, by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he will judge. And the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And a king will reign in righteousness. And the effect of that righteousness will be peace and quietness and assurance. That doesn't sound like groaning. His people will abide in peaceable habitations and secure dwellings and in quiet resting places. And the whole earth won't be groaning. The whole earth will be at rest and quiet and the lion will lay down with the lamb and the wilderness and the dry place will be glad and the desert shall rejoice and blossom like the rose and will have waters in the wilderness and streams in the desert and every valley will be lifted up and every mountain made low and the ransom shall return unto Zion and everlasting joy, not continual groaning, Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads, and they shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. And they will go out in joy, and they will be led forth in peace, and the mountains and the hills will break before them into singing, and the trees of their hills will be what? Clapping their hands, and the Lord will be our everlasting light. Friends, we might be groaning now, but that's our hope. That's what we have been called to when the curse will be released. And then there'll be that new creation. Friend, if you are groaning, you're normal. Don't fight the curse. Embrace reality. All right, so that was our first stepping stone. Our world isn't right, and we have to embrace that. All right, our second stepping stone we're going to see this in verse 26. Our resources are not enough. Boy, just more good news, right? Our resources, and I'm talking about our resources in our own human, our own humanness. Our resources are not enough. Look at what it says in verse 26. The Spirit also helpeth us, helpeth our infirmities, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Donald Rumsfeld said this, and it's very insightful, okay? I'm going to read you this quote. There are known knowns. These are things we know that we know. There are not known unknowns. That is to say there are things we know we don't know. But there are also unknown unknowns. There are things we don't know we don't know. 
Sometimes it's really important to know what you don't know. Have you ever been in a conversation? Maybe you're in a group of women at church, and you're in a conversation, and after so-and-so walks away, the other woman says, how could you have said that? Don't you know that? No, I didn't know. And you, if you had just known, there was something that you should have known that you didn't know, you would have been careful in the situation, right? I know what I don't know about sports. Out of the six of us in my immediate family, there's one of us who's not athletic. And I do, I'm learning because all of my family's athletic, but I have been very careful to comment on a game, like, go team, you know, like, <laughs> like what's the right thing to say, you know, we want to, we want a touchdown, you know, um, I know what I don't know. Here, Paul says there's something we don't know, and we need to know that we don't know it. He says we do not know how to pray as we ought. It's important for us to know our limitations, and there's two limitations in this verse. It, he talks about our, our, our infirmities. Do you see that in verse 26? The Spirit helps in our infirmities. Now, this does not refer to our physical infirmities, like we might talk about someone being infirmed. This is talking about our weakness. We do not have a high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. It's the same word. It's our weakness. And here, we are weak. And the context here is our weakness that has to do with being under the curse. So we are prone to sin. We're prone to sickness. We're prone to being groaning. We're prone to these things because of being in these flesh bodies. And we're also ignorant. We do not know how to pray for. What's the very best thing we can do when we're groaning? Pray. And Paul's saying, you're not even going to get that right because you don't even know how to pray as you ought. There are spiritual realities that you and I can't see. So we can look at the evilness of this world or we can see a problem in our family, but we can't see it with divine eyes. We can only see this one side, the earth, this earthly side of the picture. And here Paul is saying, you need the Spirit's help because you don't even know how, how to pray. There are spiritual realities that we don't even understand being influenced by this broken world. And even our prayers fall short. One commentator put it this way, our needs go far beyond the power of our speech to express them. Our needs are deeper than our language. Have you been there? God, there's this problem, and it's making me groan. And God, ugh, I don't even know. God, help. That's a wonderful prayer. Because it says right here that the Spirit helps. When you find yourself in that groaning, weak condition, yes, the Spirit gets to do his job. And his job is to help. And we have this beautiful contrast. We might be insufficient and our resources might not be enough, but the Spirit's resources are completely sufficient. He knows how to help us. Do you see that in the verse? The Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. That word help indicates carrying a heavy load. When I'm groaning about something, maybe it's in my family, it is a weight. It is a load on my shoulders. The only other time this word is used in the New Testament, it is used of Martha 
When Christ looks at her and says, Martha, Martha, you are cumbered about with much serving. You are weighed down. You've got this load on your shoulders. It's the same word here. Paul is saying that the Spirit can help us when we are weighed down with our, with our groaning. He can help. And the verb is continual. It's the idea, Paul's saying, the Spirit will continue. He continues to help you in your weakness. You know what that means? That means there's no load limit. Have you ever been on a road? You know, maximum load. You will never max out the Spirit's help. You have already brought this many burdens to the Spirit he cannot carry anymore. No. He continues to help. And so you take, you take one burden and you say, will you help me with this burden? And it's no more of a problem for him than it was before. And he knows how to pray. Do you notice in verse 26 that the Spirit is groaning? The Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. He knows how to pray. He's groaning too, but he's making groanings that are, that are effective on our behalf. He is directing these groanings to the Father, and his groanings accomplish something. Why? Because he always is praying in accord with the Father's will. Do you see that in verse 27? He prays according to the will of God. While you and I groan and we don't know how to pray, the Spirit groans and he does. He knows exactly how to pray. And these verses just boggle my mind because it's the Spirit knows the will of the Father, and the Father knows the mind of the Spirit, and they are fellowshipping together. Later in chapter, in this chapter, it says that Christ is interceding for us. Now wrap your mind around this. We have Christ interceding for us. We have the, we have the Spirit groaning to the Father, bringing our prayers to him, praying for us. And the Father knows the mind of the Spirit. And we just have this little glimpse of inter-Trinitarian fellowship and who is the focus of this fellowship? It almost sounds blasphemous to say this. But my need, my groaning, my trouble, your trouble, it's as if the Trinity is fellowshipping in prayer, in partnership to help you through carrying your groaning load. That just boggles my mind, friend. What is man? What are we that you are mindful of us? And he's helping to carry our groaning, helping to carry our load. All right, so we've got two stepping stones. I'm going to give you the last one. You guys are sticking with me, all right? So our world isn't right. Our resources aren't enough. And then I want us to see, lastly, our God is working in it all. I hope that you have verse 28 memorized backwards and forwards, if that's possible. I hear the words, and we know, and I feel as if a warm blanket is starting to wrap around me because I know where it's going, and we know that all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. God is working in it all. I know this is a familiar verse. Let's just walk through the big, the big ideas real quickly, and then we'll make it super practical. I want us to see that God is working for me. Do you see that in the passage? All things work together for good. But the emphasis here isn't just some kind of general, well, 
it's all going to work out. That's not the idea here. The idea here is that God is actively working things out. So God is working for me. And who is the, who is the me? There's a dual description here. Believers are described as those who love God, but they've also been called according to his purpose. So we have believers were characterized by loving God, but God called us. God has a purpose. We were called according to his purpose. He doesn't look down and he's like, ooh, you know, Susie's really struggling. I better figure out how I'm going to turn this out for good. No. He is actively working for our good and he called us in eternity past and he has a purpose. This isn't a recent thing. He doesn't look down and see I'm struggling and try to patch things up real quickly. He has a plan for me. He has a plan for you. And in the seeming chaos of this world, God has a plan that transcends it all and he's bringing it to pass. My God... I'm sorry, my life is in the hands of a God who's working for me. My life is in the hands of a God who is actively working for me. I also want you to see that God is working for me in all things. Do you see that word all, all things? Let's do a deep dive on that word all. It means all, total, everything. It tells me that there is nothing outside of his control. There is nothing too hard for him. There is nothing outside of the scope of his plan. So here's the truth. If it makes you groan, it's not too much for him. If it makes you groan, he can still be working it out for good. God is working for me in all things, but very importantly, for what? For good. I'm sure that you have heard of maybe the tapestry illustration. Do I have any seamstresses here? Like, you, like that's your happy place, like quilting or you know sewing or all right, not me. I'm I'm glad you have that gift. I do not have that gift, but my mom taught me. Like I can sew a straight line, so I've done like some curtains, you know, where it's just like hem it basically, and then you hang it up, um, and no one has to no one has to see the backside, right? I I can't tell you how many times I thought that. Like, I'll be taking something in, like a garment in for one of my girls, and it's just a straight seam. Let's make this a little smaller. And I'll think, I have to start again and start again or whatever. Or it's, you know, and I think, I'm so glad no one's going to inspect this on the inside. We're just going to see it from the outside. God is working all things together for good. And we always have to keep in mind that when we look at the exterior things that we can see, we are really looking at it from the back of the sewing project. We, we really can't see what God is doing. We do not have that eternal kind of vision. Don't judge God from the backside of the project. When we, get from, when we get to heaven, then we'll get to see the front side of the project. God is working in all things for good. In the midst of the mess, He is working for good. He's working for me. He's working for me in all things towards good. And lastly here, with the purpose that I would look like Jesus. Do you see that in verse 29? What's the whole goal? That you and I would be conformed to the image of his son. 
Do you know that's really the definition of good? And this is really hard to say. We have to say this through faith, but if it makes me look like Jesus, it's good. Even if I'm groaning, if it makes me look like Jesus, it's good. Friends, that is the the greatest desire of my life, and I hope you say so too. That we would look like our Savior, that we would think like our Savior, that we would love like our Savior, that we would be holy like our Savior, that we would fill in the blank, that we would be like Jesus. And God is working in the mess, in the groaning, to make you and I look more like Jesus. That has to be our life's purpose. Do you notice at the end of verse 29, it says that to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. We don't talk about that part of the verse too often, but I was really struck. What is this idea of firstborn? It's like preeminent one. Do you know that when you look like Jesus and you look like Jesus and you look like Jesus and I look like Jesus and we're all working together to look like Jesus, who is the preeminent one in our midst? Jesus. And so in the middle of the mess, in the middle of the groaning, as you and I focus our attention on trusting the one who's working all things together, and as we allow God to make us look more like Jesus, who is glorified? God is glorified. And that's a good thing. So let's make this very practical. We've seen that our world isn't right, our resources aren't enough, And our God is working in it all. And I told you, I use this almost every week, um, very frequently. So not too long ago, um, my husband and I were getting ready for a date. And we were getting ready, you know, and chatting. And my husband said something. It was the wrong thing. (laughs) I mean, just totally the wrong thing. And I told him, you know, nicely, meekly, wonderfully, you know, just it was the wrong thing. And he didn't get it. And I, maybe a little more strongly, tried to help him see it was the wrong thing. And before long, we were in a discussion. And I was not feeling a bit like a date. And I was a little a mess, honestly. Like, how can you say that? And, and he won't take it back. And, you know, then we're in the middle of this. And I know it sounds really silly, but in the moment, I mean, it was like emotional. And I could not get myself under control, you know. And I didn't feel like, okay. And finally, I'm like, well, I, I'm not sure we should even go. And I'm sitting on the couch, and the Lord brings this to mind. And so my prayer goes something like this, Lord, I know this world isn't right. I'm a sinner. He's a sinner. We're all sinners. I can't expect our marriage to be perfect. I can't expect even this date to be perfect. Lord, I don't even know how to pray about this. I'm an emotional mess, God. But would you help me? Would you help me to see truth here? Would you help me to get myself under control? And would you help me, would you use this little, this argument to make me look more like Jesus? Would you use it to make him look more like Jesus? (laughs) (laughs) And you know what? It, It was not instantaneous. But as I started thinking about these truths, because this is our date, and this is utopia, and this is supposed to be our perfect, you know, couple hours. And my expectations, you know, crumbled. And as I started rehearsing these truths and talking them out with the Lord, you know what happened? He started softening me. Maybe 30 minutes later, we were headed out the door. He took me to dinner. And thrift storing. I love bargains. I love thrift storing. And we had a fun evening. 
Now, I know often our groaning are over more significant things, but these stepping stone truths can help us in lots of situations. Maybe you have an adult child or a child becoming an adult, and maybe um, your child says something, and your response is in your heart. He can't think that. I didn't teach him that. How does he have that opinion? You know, and you want to panic. All right. The world isn't right. <laughs> All right. I don't even know how to pray about this. God, he's your child. <laughs> you know, and, and, and you just start going through these steps. Or maybe when it comes to light, that there are larger things, larger issues, like maybe you find out your child has been struggling with sin. And you just want to utterly despair. I should have known better. I should have protected better. I should have fill in the blank. Or maybe you see a godly friend lose a spouse or a parent or a child. Or you see a young person fighting an ugly disease and you say, this isn't right. Or maybe it's just everything overwhelms you and you see the evil in the world and you're totally overwhelmed and fearful and you're thinking, what kind of world am I leaving to my children? Or what's next? Or what's the world coming to? Or how could God do this? Or, or maybe it's when someone in your congregation, you've been investing in hours and hours and hours and they walk away from the faith and you think, Lord, I can't anymore. Can I encourage you to use these stepping stone truths? And immediately start telling yourself the truth and saying, this is expected. I know that we are in a world that's broken. And things will not be perfect, but we are saved for hope. There's something better coming. I cannot undo the curse. God has not called me. It is not my job to fix all these problems. I can't fix all these problems. There's no perfection here. This is beyond me. God, I don't even know how to pray about this. God, would you help? Would you help me to process this right? But God, I trust you. That you are working good in the middle of this exact situation. Would you increase my faith that you are working this together for good somehow? Would you help me to be more dependent on you? Would you help me to look more like Jesus? Would you help her look more like Jesus? Would you help my child look more like Jesus? Lord, we want to look like Jesus together. And this process of going through these stepping stone truths will take your mind off of the now, off of this side of the sewing project, and it will help you focus your attention to the bigger picture of what God is doing. And you won't be focused on the scary, filthy, broken world, but in the God who has a plan and who's working all things together and he's praying and he is bringing his purposes to fulfillment. How about you, friend? Are you groaning? You're normal. But what are you going to do about it? Are you going to embrace reality? And think God's truth. Are you going to process the pain in the right way? I urge you. I urge you to do so. We trust that today's session was an encouragement and a challenge to your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Be sure to like Southland on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, and check out our website at www.southlandcamp.org.